soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. And this story is titled, Unlucky Bar. Myself and former co-host of The Penalty Spot, Sal Nicosia, enrolled in an internship program that took us to Washington, D.C. for four and a half months. Sal and I are both Arsenal fans and often went to Lucky Bar to watch the games with the D.C. Armory, which is Arsenal's Washington, D.C. supporters group. This was during the 2017-18 season, so if you remember it well, it was not the best season in the club's history, to say the least. We didn't go every single week, but when we did, Arsenal lost. The trip to Anfield, Old Trafford, the Etihad, and more were quite miserable to watch. Over four-plus months, I'd say we watched Arsenal win maybe twice at Lucky Bar, and not once in a big game, fucking obviously. The one positive from those days was drinking an insane amount of Carlsberg and not being able to do anything for the rest of the day. Unlucky Bar. A little bit of... Carlsberg and steak and eggs. Carlsberg, some steak and eggs. and Listen, so I, I like steak and eggs. Lucky Bar steak and eggs are very good. If you're going to get steak and eggs, how do you get your eggs done? I get them sunny side up or over easy, I'd say. Okay. And you like that's, that's what I would do, and I mix the two. For some reason... Sal being out of his mind, clearly, um, got steak and scrambled eggs, and that just seems like they're two separate things. Like they're not—that's not a combination. You've—you have ordered a steak, and you have also ordered scrambled eggs. That's not steak and eggs. That's steak, but also, but also eggs. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I completely get that. We're on it's, the same page there. We are on the same page. That, yeah, that's weird. That's yeah, that's gross. Honestly, it's just. Doesn't, it doesn't fit. Uh, Sal ran into his own sort of uh, misfortune with sports when you guys were in D.C. as well, which I loved, was he went to a couple different uh, hockey games while he's out there to watch the Caps play, Sal being a Rangers fan. Um, every time he went to see the Caps play, they lost. And yeah. <laughs> his last game he went to D.C. was Caps-Rangers, where this would have been the only time he would want the Caps to lose, and they beat his team. Yeah, finally. So, which is incredible. It was, I want to say we went to, I went to the three, I didn't go to the Caps-Rangers game. I went to the first three. So we, he went to a total of four Caps games while we were down there. Um, and the Caps were one and three, and only one against the Rangers. Absolutely incredible. The, the misfortune was through the roof. But I will say that... Uh, um, the same day as Arsenal-Liverpool at Anfield, when Arsenal lost 4-0, I want to say. Um, I don't want to say. I, I just want to be correct on that. But uh, the same day, we went to see the Mets-Nationals. Um, and the Mets actually won that game. So that was Wasn't nice. Was that a walk-off? Or? No, so it was... Um, the. I want to say the Mets threw out a guy at the plate to tie the game. He was trying to tie the game and that was the final out of the game. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I do I do remember there was I, do, I remember it was an eventful end to the game. Yeah, so um, it, that's as much of an away walk off as you can have. Um, that's true. So that was that was good, I guess. A little uh less misfortune as far as sports goes for me. Um but L- Lucky Bar is a good time. It's a very good time. 
but yeah, a- not during the 2017-18 Arsenal season. I feel like mo- well, the majority of times I went to see them, it was an away game because they won, what, once or twice away that season? Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe you should have figured that out during the season. You, I mean, you, you have a very bad uh, record historically uh, going to bar watching your teams play. Yeah. Um, even outside of DC, you know, you went to, I don't know how many times you went to Darcy's in, in Asbury park or Belmar area, New Jersey. Um, but I remember, I mean, you were rooting for Croatia to win the world cup. They, they didn't. And you've seen Arsenal lose there. I think a time or two. Yeah. And misconduct in Philly. Uh, misconduct in Philly. I've only been to for Arsenal Chelsea games. The one was nil, nil at the Emirates and that, Essentially, it didn't uh, mathematically clinch the title for Chelsea, but it essentially did. Um, and the second one was the uh, Europa League loss. So um, I think it's Stay time to I... watch Arsenal at home a little bit more. Yeah, look, Arsenal are better at home. So maybe you True. should stay at home as True. well. True. You, you make a good point. Um, I think the biggest thing with going to the, the games at Lucky Bar, um, you're thinking like they're going away to teams like West Brom. Now I I'd have to look back at the results. I they may have may have won away against West Brom, who knows. But you're going into that you're like, "Oh, you want to go down to Lucky Bar? Oh, they're not really that great when we go down there." Um, and then you're like, "But it's West Brom." Like, come on. But it's a it's a Crystal Palace team that hasn't scored a goal in 4 months. And like stuff like that. And somehow they uh they uh, always, Arsenal really always uh, botched it. A real botched toe of a season that was. So. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't been back to Lucky Bar since. Since I came back to Jersey in December 2017. Um, I have been back to Lucky Bar. I haven't been back to watch a game there. So. Right. Um, I don't know that I ever will be. Maybe one day I will find a bar that I have good fortune in. While watching Maybe. soccer. Time. Time will only tell. I think I'd have to become a fan of a team other than Arsenal, though, for that to happen. That is true. Now, you were where were you working for the Champions League final? Because I know you couldn't watch it because you were working. I was were working, working in... the bar? Or? It, no, I was working in Trenton at a uh, concert. Okay. Because that, that went the way you were, I mean... Oh my god! To. Get the fuck in! Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Injected into my fucking veins. Oh boy! Yeah, I'm getting vulgar. Spurs didn't win the Champions League, so excuse me if I haven't stopped smiling for the past five days. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the on the event as a whole, the Champions League final? Um. The event, not the not the game, not the not the you know you can take the quality of the game into um, account but into the, account, but it. think yeah, and obviously it's tough. It's easier if you were on the ground in Madrid and uh, got to experience it as a whole. But from from what you saw, pre-game uh, leading in from both sides, um, the host Madrid as a as a host city. Um, and the whole affair. What did what did you think of it? Um, 
Now, admittedly, I didn't see too much of like stuff going on around Madrid leading up to it. Um, you like to think that Madrid can host a host a final well, so I'm gonna. I, I mean, I don't know if you had watched any of the stuff. Uh, on, like, I, I'm sure they posted stuff to Twitter about you know fans walking to the game, mm-hmm. stuff like that going on in the streets. I didn't see much of it. Uh, and this was at what? This was at Atletico's new stadium. Yes. Is that the Metropolitano? That's I mean, it's an amazing, amazing venue. Um, uh, I mean, like the I think I watched some of the opening, the opening, you know, performance. I think Imagine Dragons was playing. Why? Which, why do Imagine Dragons play at all finals? Where is that? Yeah, in their, where is that in the contract of the world that? Oh, hey, we've got a championship game. Bring over this shit band. <laughs> I mean, people like them. They're popular. They're they have. I mean, they are. And we we have they, both seen Imagine Dragons live, but yeah. we had the pleasure of seeing Imagine Dragons live before they really sucked. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh my god, I don't think they suck. I think they're okay. But they're a mainstream band, and it, it I don't know it works. They have a a good upbeat sound, so it's not going to be a boring performance. Um, so that was okay. I mean. We can get into Bleacher Report, their coverage of the finals. You know, I, I mean, I think it's probably the worst coverage we've seen. I don't want to be too negative towards them. Like, obviously, they're these are people who are passionate about the sport and are trying their best to cover it. But, like, having uh, – I think they had Trey Young and Steve Nash. I mean, they've had Steve Nash all season, but they also had Trey Young on it uh, on the pregame show, which is like you're having – I know you're – maybe trying to connect with the rest of the American sports world to try and grow your audience. But like it, they're, they're hardly the experts you, you want to have on there. Um, Steve Nash knows a good deal about, about soccer, but he never played. He, you know, he talks a lot about Tottenham being a fan of Tottenham and you sense a, a bias when they talk and he's, you know, he's not, he doesn't really shy too much away from him. He's respectful yeah. when he talks about him, you know, like, and he doesn't sound, he doesn't get too, too negative against other teams. It's just very much. It's just a, like a, fan a, a pro Spurs, yeah, and and that's not an issue um, in most situations because you know back back in the day Fox had who Brad Friedel on and he he played for Spurs and so um, there you have a lot of former players. I'm sure if uh, Stu Holden was on Premier League coverage and Bolton were. Um, in the top flight, you'd hear a bias because he's got a connection with the club. Um, with Steve Nash, um, the story with him is his father was born in North London. Um, he's raised a Tottenham supporter his whole life. Um, he says he's one of those guys that says he could have played soccer professionally if he had decided to focus on that instead of basketball, but went with basketball instead. Um, he knows a great deal about the game. He plays the game well, just didn't play it professionally. Um, but it's it's one of those things where if you if you have him in the pre post game coverage it's one thing but the, the the coverage of Spurs Barcelona in the group stage that second group stage match was horrendous um, that was when that was Stu wasn't Stu Holden, Stu Holden was the game? Stu Holden was the play by play guy and Steve Nash was the color guy Steve Nash barely said a word he cheered when Spurs scored it wasn't just like a, an excitement in his voice. He legitimately shouted when Spurs scored, um, yeah. which 
I'm sure he's not the only Spurs fan in the world that scored when they, uh, you know, sealed their spot in the knockout stage. But to have it as a guy on air um, and not, if he's working for Tottenham Hotspur Radio, it's one thing. But um, Yeah, it works more in internationals when you're listening to, you know, like if we have an American broadcast and the U.S. scores and you hear a cheer. But like it's, it, you're broadcasting it specifically to Americans, so yeah. that's fine. And that's or it's like a yeah. like Sky Sports or BT covering the Champions League final between a German side and an English side. I kind of get it a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, it, I, they had some cool stuff. It was cool seeing him when they scored to beat Ajax, um, and they showed him in the studio in tears, which is like a cool moment. But yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it is they do stray away from how the broadcast should should really go. Yeah. Um, now, obviously in a, in a second, let's, we'll get to the, to the actual game itself, but I, I want to continue down this road of talking about the whole BR live, um, TNT kind of setup. for me. It's, oh, it's, I thought that like Fox was not great and BR live bores the living hell out of me. Um, you watch, and you have guys on there, um, you know, throughout the group stage and other rounds. You had who Marisa Do and Tim Howard. Tim Howard would play for the Rapids at the weekend and then be in the studio on Tuesday uh, talking about the Champions League. Um, and they, they, all you hear from those guys, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of both of them as players but all you hear from those guys is like your typical uh english uh catchphrases like oh look at this that oh that pass was class oh that finish was sublime oh and you don't actually they don't actually dive into the tactics as opposed to when you watch nbc sports for the premier league um throughout the season with rebecca lowe the two robbies and kyle martino they're diving in they're telling you exactly what makes each club tick what their tactics are um who who is playing well and why they think they're playing well um what they've done exactly really good instead of just saying ah Messi is the best player in the world what a game he's having and we're done with it um and I think part of that is it's down to the fact that the honestly the commercial breaks on BR live I, I, I don't know um if they're longer than the ones on NBC Sports, but they uh, definitely interrupt things a little bit more. They say, you know, uh, come back. All right, let's talk about this goal. Yeah, sublime finish. Okay, uh, when we come back, we'll talk about this. And it's a quick thing, 30 seconds, boom, to the break again. And um, even, like, all the all the people that are on BR Live and TNT for the um, European coverage, they're all brilliant when it comes to knowing... Um, knowing the game, as far as I can tell. Um, I didn't watch the final coverage, of course, uh, so I didn't see Trey Young on there, but um, most of the people on there are incredibly smart, but it seems to me that the production doesn't actually give them the time to, to do, do it, it and it, they, they want to go in a different direction. And Kate Abdo has, is one of the most experienced uh, broadcasters in the game, and it, sh- it feels like they're just wasting talent that they have. 
Yeah, and it feels like a lot when she's talking, she's mostly just a moderator. When really, she yeah. probably knows. She, she, I'm sure she knows just as much as uh, as these guys. She's been covering it for a while. Yeah. Um, and I should say, I I saw it based. I didn't see Trey Young physically on there. I saw someone tweeting about it. It could have been a reference. They might have showed a clip because I know what they did leading up to it. They had a thing where it was like Trey Young, Stu Holden, Steve Nash, and I think uh, Maurice Adu were trying to recreate uh, Zidane's volley. So it might have been just a okay. segment that they had. I watched the segment, and it's it was such a weird it was such a weird segment because they're like, all right, yeah, we're gonna try and recreate this goal, and like none of them did it. <laughs> did they get like close they scored? Like they did a volley and people scored, but no one like did the volley top corner. Like they're like, ah oh, man, guess that was harder than we thought. And then it was like the end of the segment. It was like. <laughs> Uh, excuse me? Uh, hey, back to like, you, and they're you... like, all right, and we're going to go to a commercial for an hour and a half, and we'll see you why for 30 you... seconds when we come back. Yeah. Why would you pick that goal? Yeah. I mean, you, you understand why, but, like, at well, least... You're picking Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks, Hawks point guard, point guard Trey Phoenix Suns point guard, Bolton injury-prone player. Point guard. And, but, and I mean, I don't... I don't know exactly where Maurice Adu played, probably a lot in MLS, but like they're going to recreate one of the greatest player of all time, one of his best go- best goals. Yeah, like they don't they don't have what Arsene Wenger had to get around him in that charity game. Come on. Yeah, come on. Um How about now what did you think about Arsene Wenger and uh J- uh Jose Mourinho on I believe it was was it was it Sky or maybe um being sport. Or, being sport. Sport. Um, they were doing uh, punditry together, which was very interesting to see. Right? It's, and they uh, did very well. They were, yeah. You know. From what I saw, they did well. Um, both of them handled it well, and they were very friendly to each other, as you would hope yeah. they can be. Um, neither of Outside them of the are. Game, yeah. Neither of them are at the clubs that they butted heads um, when they were, you know going up against each other's opponents, they're co-workers on this day. So it's good that they, they I mean, two brilliant minds in world football. Um, yeah, excellent, excellent. Two moments. of the the best managers in Premier League history in in this this generation's, two of the top managers in, the, in this generation. Um, so it's good to see them getting along, good to see them still involved in the game. I'm sure we're going to see them um, both back working with a club at some point. Um, Mourinho, I would assume he's going to take another job in management um, fairly soon. Um, Arsene Wenger, probably more of a front office type guy, a director of football, but um, it's good to see them getting along uh, with each other on, on the day. Um, let's get to the actual game, though. We have, we've gone on pretty long without talking about actual football. Um, and... You got to start with the the penalty inside the first minute, um, and um, brutal on Sissoko, who has been so so good for Tottenham this season. It absolutely brutal that he's the one that gave away this penalty. Um, but he's been a, I mean because he's been a game changer for them in the yeah, midfield. Yeah, he has. If if they didn't have him as a defensive midfielder, they're not playing in this final. Um. They don't get to this point without him, but the ball originally hits his chest, then rolls, you know, rolls down, hits his arm, 
and the referee points to the spot. In my opinion, it's correct that I'm hoping I'm not showing any bias there, but 10 times out of 10 on a, at a different spot on the pitch, it gets called. They use VAR. VAR did a check, and they said it was good. Um, so penalty awarded, and Liverpool take the lead. What were your thoughts yeah, on the penalty? I mean, do you, do it, you think it's, it's one of those that you can say it was harsh, but probably the right decision still. That's that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think people have definitely been split on it. My thoughts were exactly, you know, you're echoing my thoughts exactly. I'm thinking about it. Um, I don't know if I call it, but but again, when you think about it, it's like his arms up. If this happened in the middle of the field, they're gonna they call it all the time. Uh, that was those are my initial thoughts on it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I remember I was getting ready for the game, and like I was, I hopped out of the shower and was getting ready to watch the game, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what I think? Because we both predicted Spurs to win this game, and my prediction, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? Liverpool are going to score very early, like the first couple of minutes, but I think Tottenham will end up coming back and winning. And then the penalty happened, and I was like, okay, we're 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 getting started. <laughs> I'm about to have a masterclass of predictions here. Um, obviously, it didn't go that way, but yeah, I think, like I said, I don't know if I call it, but I think, but then you have to. I mean, you have to think about it. Is that a hand? Do you call that a handball anywhere else? And you, the answer is yes. They always do. Um, and fun, fun story uh, about uh, NBC analyst Robbie Musto's thoughts. Uh, Nikki's brother ran into him at a bar and, and asked him what he thought and he, he said to him I don't know what a penalty is anymore I have no idea and then I actually saw him comment on Rebecca Lowe's Instagram saying no pen so we know where he stands on that so I mean maybe we're being I, yeah like you said I don't I don't want to be too biased or think that being too biased maybe we are a little bit in the back of like subconsciously but I mean anywhere else in the field they call that a penalty yeah or, or a foul yeah um and that's it's I think it's one of those that's so heavily debated, even more so not not just because it's a Champions League final and the the impact it had on the outcome, but just because of how early the incident is. If this occurs nil nil in the thirtieth minute, um, I don't think it's as big of a discussion. Um, but it just happens that it was twenty four seconds into the game and um, you know, the VR check goes by, second minute, Mosala Shoots it directly at Hugo Lloris, and it's 1-0. Um, uh, big moment for Mosala, who, you know, left last year, left the game injured, and, you know, scores the the go-ahead goal, essentially, the, the opening goal. Um, what a difference uh, a year a year makes. Talk about redemption. Yeah. Um, so he's he's now spent two seasons at Liverpool. Um, the first season, he broke the record for goals in a 38-game uh, Premier League season, scoring 32. Uh, the second season in the league, he helps Liverpool get to uh, 97 points, the third highest total in Premier League history. Not enough to win the title. Um, he is... He's got his second golden boot in a tie with his teammate and with his teammate Sadio Mane and and then Arsenal's Aubameyang. And uh, now he's got a Champions League trophy. He's got a runners-up medal from last year, but he's got he's got the winner's medal this year. A, yeah, 
I mean, an incredible, uh, incredible comeback for a guy who was sold from Chelsea. Um, you know, played a little bit at Fiorentina, played at Roma, and has now, um, now accomplished the biggest feat for a player at a at the club level. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you think, I mean, when I was think, I was trying to think, I was thinking about it, like think about some of these players who now have this on their resume, and like that's huge for Mo Salah. Uh, you look at like players like Jordan Henderson now as a as a Champions League. Alberto Moreno. Alberto Moreno. <laughs> yeah, it's Simon Mignolet. Um, but I mean, like when you're looking more at the players who you know had a big part in this. Uh, in this run, you look at the players like Divock Origi, who was huge. You know, he scored the goal that, that closed the game out. Um, scored the winning goal in the semifinal. But yeah, I mean, you can. there's no denying uh, Mo Salah's quality when you look at, you know, the record he's had at Liverpool these past couple of years. Um, so, uh, you know, James, James Milner has a Champions League. Yeah. What, I mean, he's had... Had a brilliant career in England and uh, has capped it off with, uh, you know, becoming the champions of Europe. Um, a brilliant season for Liverpool. Um, it it's one that you know it feels it feels right because of how good they were in the league and to walk away without a trophy. Um, it, it feels right that Liverpool um, have have earned this this reward and. Uh, it's it's proved one of my delusions wrong, maybe more than one of my delusions wrong, um, but Liverpool are the champions of Europe. Yeah, we'll you know we'll we'll dive more into that uh, on a later episode when we explore our delusions and talk about what we got right, what we got wrong. But I mean, there's still plenty of game to talk about. Um, so, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on on the game as a whole? Because I mean, like I know. A lot of people on Twitter were, were heavily criticizing the game as a whole, and saying, you know, like worst worst Champions League in recent memory, most boring Champions League. So, like, what are your thoughts overall on on the game? Um, well, I mean, to anyone who says that this game was more boring than last year's, with with two goalkeeper blunders that ended up being the difference, um, I'd say that's a little bit harsh on this on this day, but. Um, so while I was working, there were probably two or three, uh, periods where I was able to watch about five minutes of the game. Um, so not really enough to dive deep into the tactics or how the game played out because I only got short minutes, but, you know, going back watching, I watched the extended highlights, fortunately. Um, and it's one of those where the tactics were thrown out two minutes into the game. So it was... However the game was going to go, it changed completely because of the penalty. So mm-hmm. um, you can blame the, that you can blame the call on maybe taking away some of the game's excitement, but you have a situation where Liverpool go up and this season, unlike years in the past, when they've gone up, uh, when they when they went up last season, they were still attacking, still attacking and left themselves left themselves open at the back this year their game plan has been get a lead and hold that lead 
put put your guys forward in the attack, but you have to have to keep um, some players back. So if your fullbacks are darting forward, your midfield kind of has to sit and um, be the coverage for a counterattack because you know that Spurs uh, can be a very good counterattacking team. And but Liverpool, they got a goal and they they held their lead and they they fought they fought they fought. Tottenham in the second half bring on their subs, bring on attacking subs. Who they have on the field at the end? Uh, they had Kane, they had Urente, uh, right? They had uh, Son, they brought Son, Mora. they had Mora. Um, they you know they had big attacking players. They were sending everyone forward. They were getting chances um, here and there. But then Liverpool killed the game off. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people were criticizing the quality of both teams. And, you know, the quality of the match wasn't incredible. But, I mean, you look at, yeah, like you said, the that call, which is it's disappointing to say it, that call did change the whole scope of that game. Uh, but I think it's that's down to, you know, people were criticizing the quality of Spurs, the quality of Liverpool. I think it's all down to Spurs. I think when you go down early... Liverpool didn't have to play well. They just had to hold that lead. They didn't no, have they to yeah play. they they scored and did what they had to do. It was it's it's all on Tottenham for it's, for exactly. not not forcing their hand. Yeah, so I think criticizing Liverpool's quality in that game is a little harsh. I think yeah, because I think it was completely down to if this game was to open itself up again, it had to be Tottenham, and I Tottenham didn't create any chances, any like amazing chances. They had a, a couple of sequences where. Um, you know, they, they almost scored a couple nice saves from Alisson, which is another big thing from last year. Obviously, we, we mentioned the Lars Carries blunders. Um, he has been a, a solid, he's been a rock for them, uh, a wall, or is a better way to put it, in, in between the sticks for them. And another game changer, probably just behind Virgil van Dijk's importance to this team. But, yeah, I mean, look, look, they didn't have to, Liverpool didn't really have to get out of second gear offensively um, in order to win this game. They, they they were able to just hold on and do what they've done all season. Um, and I think it, that's where it was in, incredibly disappointing from a Tottenham point of view because they didn't really uh, play up to the grade that they had throughout the rest of the competition. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of it's down to the decision to play Harry Kane, but I, I, you know, I think that was a very poor decision from Mauricio Pochettino. Yeah. Um, my thoughts going into it, you know, we, on the pod, we discussed how, uh, we both thought Spurs would come out victorious. Um, but you know, on the day I'm, I'm leading up to it. I'm, I'm really thinking if Spurs start Kane, Liverpool wins, if they bring in Kane off the bench, and can change the dynamic of their attack, then they've they've got a real shot. Um, I would have been more confident in Tottenham if they would have played uh, Lucas Mora from the get go. And it's a you know it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I I think either way, um, Pochettino got that decision wrong. It's the whole rushing a guy back who is not ready to play and Kane stayed on for 90 minutes. Um, yeah, I think after that was not more down playing to how the for game, months. So yeah, how the game had gone. I think it was more down to that. 
Um, it was almost know, like, yeah, who, who do you expect us to, to bring we, on? We're going to bring on someone and take Kane off. We're going to, you know, it's it doesn't make sense, which is why he was a guy that, you know, think think if, if the game had gone the same way. And, you know, the 60th minute, Pochettino says, all right, it's it's Harry Kane time. And you see him lining up on the touchline, waiting for the ball to go out, waiting for that board to go up and to come on and change the game. Liverpool's defense would not not be as confident as they are, but they, they set the tone and, you know, said, you know, come and beat us because you're here. You're not fully fit. You haven't played in a f- couple months. Even if you are fully fit, you're not at 100% match sharpness. Um, yeah, so, allow so, him to come so, yeah, on. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you try to dribble dribble past Virgil van Dijk? No one's completed a dribble past him in ages. Yeah, allow, allow Harry Kane to come on and given his match fitness due to his injury, allow him to have sort of an advantage coming on when the rest of the players have played for 60, 70 minutes already. So he's he's so, fresh. Yeah, Harry Kane is the fresh legs. In this match, he was never the fresh legs because um, you know he's starting the same time as everybody else, but he's getting worn out a little bit earlier because he's not, he's not up to uh, match speed. And yeah, and I think it's a disservice to Lucas Moura for you know he's the guy who got you there. A, a hat trick in the second half of the Champions League semifinal second leg, and you don't get to start the final. That and yeah, even even disregarding Harry Kane's injury, that is nothing but disrespectful to Lucas. Yeah, Moura. I think I think I think Tottenham like Tottenham fans were like I mean he like Harry Kane was always going to start you have to start a guy like him in a final no matter what and it's like that is so not true that like if you have a guy you know if you don't have him and like you know you've been playing Fernando Llorente yeah I understand playing Harry Kane but Lucas Mora is more than able to lead that line and what happens when you bring on when you bring on Lucas Mora um in the second half to try and come up with a win and you but you leave Hurricane on, it doesn't change the the dynamic of your attack. Whereas if you bring if you have Lucas Mora on the entire time, then you bring on Harry Kane. You have Harry Kane up front. Lucas Mora can either be a secondary striker or he can move out on the wing and bring you something different. It changes it allows you to change change it up. Um, less so I think than doing it the the other way around. Um, and it took him 66 yeah, minutes just, to get Mora on. Yeah, I, it's it's just it just yeah it just wasn't the right move. And I don't want to like sound like it's Monday morning quarterback and it's like okay it didn't work so now you can say it like no I didn't think it was the right I don't think it was ever the right move. I think I because I mean Liverpool had their own issue too with deciding whether or not to play Firmino who's also coming back from injury a different injury but an injury. Um, but I think he had less of an impact. Um, that decision for to play or uh, keep Firmino on the bench was less of a big call than than the Harry Kane thing because, you know, Liverpool, he Firmino isn't necessarily the focus of their attack. You have uh, Mane and Salah in great form. Firmino can ride along with them and play just good enough. Whereas with Spurs, you needed your striker to be the main guy to to really. The guy, the guy in question was going to be your main focal point, and he just wasn't ready. Uh, and that's not his fault. He just wasn't ready for the game, and it, it showed. And there's an aspect to it of, you know, rewarding 
a player who has has played very well in, in the past and you have to think in the back of your mind for another player I, you you understand that no matter what if you don't if you're on one of these teams and you don't start um you're going to be disappointed you want to start the Champions League final but for the guy that got them there with a last minute goal um and he doesn't start the final and you kind of look around and think if you're one of these Spurs players oh, well, what what do you got to do to to get into the team maybe another guy that started on the bench like what what do you got to do so mm-hmm. I, how well do you have to play to guarantee that you're going to start in a final it doesn't really make much sense but also um you take a step back and you think Pochettino is the one in training these coaches are they're the ones that are watching Harry Kane in training if Kane is playing well and uh you know smashing the ball into the back of the net during training um and Lucas Moore is not really uh, doing the same. Um, you could have that that the same effect just in reverse. You know, he's look how well he's trained. What has yeah. he got to do to get to the lineup? So um, it's one of those things where you know, maybe we need to contact uh, Marcelo Piesla to because we know he was in the bushes uh, scouting the the opposition's training session here. So oh we got, we have to ask him, what did Kane look like I mean, in training? Did he deserve to start? Yeah. I mean, maybe, and maybe, maybe Pochettino's overthinking it a little bit and he's thinking, well, Mora had his hat trick in the second half of the semifinal. I'll bring him on in the second half. We need it. And we'll get that magic from him again. Um, you know, more late game heroics. Maybe he trusts that more, but I don't know. I think you, you I think you're given, you're, you're allowing him to, he has to come on and work his way into a game already down with less time. Whereas in that semifinal, you know, he started the full game. He played, he started the second leg and was able to work his way into the game, come out in the second half. Yeah. And he, and he worked his, get those goals. He, he understood the tendencies of the defenders and said, you know, the last time I did this, this is how they reacted. So let me try to, you know, mimic what I'm going to do there and then switch it up and go the other way. Um, I think there's a a little bit of a a thought, you know, Kane probably matches up better against Van Dyke and Joel Matip in the air, um, if that's if that's what you were looking for. But it's one of those things. Wear him out. Bring Mora on. Start him in this uh, game. Yeah, I mean, like, put make him when when you have the ball. Have him go at these defenders, and whether or not it works is one thing. He could have started this game and had a, a horror show of a match. And, you know, we'd be talking about it that way. But, you know, have him go at these guys. Have him wear out Matip so that when Harry Kane comes on, you still have more on the field who's worried about... Uh, and Matip is worried about him, but he's also got an additional task. I don't think it works the same way psychologically um, in, in the reverse situation with Kane starting and Mora coming on as the sub. Yeah, it just, I mean, it just felt like such an easy decision. I know you're going to disappoint one of the players, but it's like Harry Kane was never even expected to be able to play in this game initially. Um, so he can't feel too hard done by being put on the bench. You know, you tell him, he has a, he's a strong mentality. You just tell Harry Kane, hey, look, we're going to save you. The 60th minute you're going to come on and you're going to change this game for us if need be. Um, 
I just felt like it was such an easy decision to make, and and Pochettino got it wrong. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, now, but other managers, there was another manager in this game, and one that I believe you uh, need to apologize to. I apologized to him before this. I gave a whole wow. story of my apology to Jurgen Klopp, and said you'll never walk alone. And let me tell you, um, I think we underestimated the entertainment value of Jurgen Klopp winning the Champions League because the the post-match celebrations, the parade, he was top, top-notch. Um, brilliant like to the watch. The gift that keeps on giving. You know, and it's so great to see. I mean, he's lost in so many finals. You know, three, he's lost, he lost two Champions League finals before this, one Europa League final. It's great to finally see him get over that hump and, and get that uh, illustrious... Uh, European trophy um, and now it's just now he has all the time in the world to just there's no there's less pressure on him now he has all the time in the world to grow Liverpool into uh, a total European juggernaut and we'll see we'll see how that goes now um, I did a poll on Twitter I don't know if you saw it or participated in it but I wanted to ask people what would you rather win um would you rather win the Champions League or would you rather win uh, uh, the the domestic treble? Um, I think so. Even, I mean, it, what were the results of this poll? I did. I did um, vote. Um, uh, there are ten votes. Seventy percent said Champions League. Thirty percent said domestic treble. Okay. Uh, what side do you land on in the argument? I said Champions League. Okay. Um, I agree, and I think even Man City fans will say the Champions League. We did the domestic treble. We would have rather well, I mean, won. I Champions mean, they're League. they're against they're against the Champions League, so who knows? Yeah, they they've got a weird relationship because their owners are clearly breaking rules, and they don't want to be caught for or don't want to admit it. Um, but uh, they're they are against the Champions League, so um. But here, here's the thing. I wouldn't – if you gave me the choice of one or the other, I'd be happy with whichever one you gave me. But it comes down to the point where, you know, Man City, uh, Arsenal, Tottenham, three clubs, those clubs have never won the Champions League. While Liverpool have, Manchester United have, Chelsea have. So they have it. So if, if a Chelsea fan – if you would have said, I'd, I'll take the domestic treble, um, I wouldn't have thought differently of your decision. Um, but it's one of those things that you want to say that you have won. And three of the big six in the Premier League have, have done so, and the other three haven't. So um, as an Arsenal fan, I would absolutely say Champions League. I would rather win than a domestic treble. But if, you give, if you're giving Arsenal the domestic treble, I am not complaining. Oh yeah, take it. I was, I mean, I was expecting it to fall sort of fifty-fifty, um, but you know, it's 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 also an interesting thing for Liverpool. You know, they won it. They won the Champions League. Obviously, you want them to go in and try and win it again next year. But I think the thought has to be is like, the one thing hanging over Liverpool's head is their inability to win a league title in the past like couple of decades. So now I think going into it, I think they have they got this big trophy. I think now they have to think as as a Liverpool fan, I would say. All right, now I, w I want us to win the league. I want us to finally get that that trophy that 
that has eluded us for so for so long. I always put more more emphasis on on the Champions League for you know for good reason, but I just think from a Liverpool point of view, it's it's a little bit different. I think now that they have it, I think now more team than any in the top six, I would prioritize. Like they have to they have to hope for the for a league title before um, another Champions League over the next couple of years, just because of what it. What what they have you know how they have not been able to get it. I mean, if that makes any sense, it does. Uh, at least to me, because I even if even if you're not getting the point across to uh, people who don't know you, I uh, I understand what you're trying to say. So uh, we we will uh, leave it at that for the for the Champions League final. Unless you have a final note. Um, no, I think I think it happened. I think the the season ended. Uh, the way it was supposed to. Liverpool and and Man City both deserved uh, the victories that they got, and they both, you know, they have the trophies now to uh, to solidify their greatness this year. There you go. We will take an ad break, and when we come back, we're going to talk uh, some rumors about players, coaches leaving, and whatnot, and we'll obviously get to our delusion of the week. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Footy Ado, a delusional soccer podcast. We've given you our thoughts on everything regarding the Champions League as far as TV coverage, the match itself, the managers involved in their decisions and how it impacted the game, the referees, um, the fan experience. But now it is time to move on to, we've got some transfer rumors as far as it goes as players managers and whatnot and then of course jared will give his delusion later on let's start talking about christian erickson and his desire to leave tottenham um the obvious destination for erickson would be uh would be to go to Real Madrid, who are definitely in the market for any player, the any world class player they can they can find. Anyone um, help? They've please. already got uh, Luka Jovic from Eintracht Frankfurt, who we saw get as far as the Europa League semifinal against Chelsea. But uh, Eriksson is looks like the the next guy that could be headed there, along with a name we'll mention a few minutes from now. Um, but you know, this is the, the quote from him. Is uh, I hope there will be a clarification during the summer. That's the plan. I feel that I am a place in my career where I might want to try something new. I have the wildest and deepest respect for everything that has happened in Tottenham. But in football, you do not know when clarification comes. It can happen any time. Um, so it's you know, he's a, a, another club has to come in or I have to sit down at the table and negotiate a new contract. You can't set a date yourself. There are not many points that Tottenham can meet. It is hard. It depends on the possibilities. A uh, little bit of a language barrier there. Um, yeah, I don't know what he means by clarification. Could he clarify? I think that he wants clarification from ownership that they're going to go out and buy players to players. improve. They are the first team in English football history to go two consecutive transfer windows, not signing a single player. Um, yeah. And that is, that is not what you want to see as a guy who wants, who, who is ambitious and wants to win trophies. Now he played in a cup final. He played in a European final. Um, but 
he knows. He knows the chances of Tottenham getting to that point again, even if they added a piece or two, are not as as good as he would hope. Um, and he wants to go to the team that's won it the most times. It, it, Real Madrid uh, will will certainly be knocking on the door of Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I mean, you knew this was going to happen. I think Kyle Walker probably, I mean, you could argue he, he left probably early than, you know, didn't really give Spurs a chance. But, you know, he went up, he went on and, you know, won titles with Manchester City. So no one's blaming him for that. But a lot of these guys stayed with Tottenham and, and pushed and really tried to, to win a trophy. But they just haven't, it still hasn't come off for him yet. And you've had, you get the feeling this team, once they win that trophy, they would you know, pile on some some success for a period, and it just hasn't happened for them. And, you know, I think you have to think at some point, players like Christian Eriksen, players like Dele Alli, players like Harry Kane, even Mauricio Pochettino has to think, maybe the best thing for my career, for my legacy, um, in the grand scheme of things, obviously your legacy, if you stay with a club like Tottenham and, and do well for so long, your legacy from there, for that club, will be unparalleled. But overall... Um, in the scope of world football, in order for them to build on their own legacies, they they might need to go somewhere else, like a Real Madrid, and and start competing year in year out for titles and and Champions League uh, crowns. Um, and you know you know you have to applaud Ericsson for for sticking around. He's 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 stuck around for some time. You know you can't blame him at this point for maybe contemplating moving on. Yeah, and. It gets to the point, you know, the Premier League is tough. Um, he, There's little chance that Tottenham are going to improve so much this summer that they're going to find themselves in a title race. They they weren't close to the 98 points that it took to win the league this year. Um, so, uh, you know, you have to understand um, from Erickson's point of view, but what a, what a crushing blow it is for, for Tottenham fans. Um, he... He is what makes this team tick. He really is. Um, you lose creativity when Erickson's not on the side. You lose, you know, and if Erickson goes, they surely will be getting a big fee for him. But um, replacing him is not easy. And you have to think, you know, are they going to spend money the right way? You think back to when Tottenham sold Gareth Bale and brought in like seven players and none of them are at the club anymore. Um, so they not only, if you do sell Ericsson, you have to get a big fee and, you know, uh, invest it in the team because you can't just say, oh, we're going to, we're losing Ericsson, we're going to promote from within, or we're going to buy a younger player who's going to take over because the drop-off is just going to be too big, and it might signal the end, or this this might signal the beginning of the end for Tottenham um, as far as this, this uh, team goes, this specific setup goes. There were rumors, you know, going into the final, and Pochettino said it himself, um... You know, he might he might have left if they won the Champions League final because it's almost impossible to achieve any bit of success with the amount of money that he's been given, which in the past two windows, of course, has been zero dollars, zero cents. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting summer for Tottenham um, regardless. So, you know, we're going to have rumors 
up until deadline day of Erickson leaving if it if it drags on. Um, you know, and Tottenham are not going to want to sell him, um, but might be forced into a move. So we'll we'll see how how things shake up at Tottenham, and if it's Erickson Erickson leaves, they need to say we need to put this money back into the squad, um, to show the other players at the club that they are still uh, invested in the success of the football club as a whole. Because if you do it any other way, it it could rub the other stars at the club the wrong way. Yeah, and I think I think uh, what history has shown us, I think you don't want to try and hold you don't want to try like hold too onto a player for too long. Um, you know, try and force him to stay to where he when he doesn't want to. You look at what happened with Liverpool. They tried very hard to keep Coutinho. They were able to keep him for a little bit, but then they ended up selling him and look what happened to them down the line. They were able to reinvest that enormous fee and they just won the Champions League. Um you know, it's sort of a little, it's sort of a cycle for for Tottenham. Like Erickson came in, he was basically the replacement for, or ended up being the replacement for Luka Modric, who went to Real Madrid, and now Erickson might might be on his way to Real Madrid, and you know they're gonna have to bring in someone else who's gonna take uh, that baton and and move forward, and it's it's likely to happen. You know, we've seen like, you know, I'm sure losing Luka Modric felt like a big blow, but you know they they've done so well since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to just think, especially with that new stadium being built, how much money are they willing to put towards new signings? Because they need new signings to get over that hump. And, you know, Pochettino could get increasingly frustrated without the money he needs. And the other players will will see that there's a lack of ambition in a way. And they, they could end up moving on, which is what it looks like could start to happen. Something we'll pay attention to and we'll talk about in the coming weeks. Um, now, a... A transfer that we're more expecting, uh, but to the same club from the same city. Eden Hazard looks like he's set to leave Chelsea to sign for Real Madrid as well, um, possibly linking up with Christian Eriksen in Madrid after a subpar season um, for for who the, the club that had won three Champions Leagues in a row. You know, that third Champions League probably papered over the, uh, you know, over the cracks that um, you could already see at the club. And, you know, they got, they still achieved glory um, in a time of transition for uh, a world power. And adding Eden Hazard would be a big, big move, especially with the addition of Jovic. And if you can bring in Ericsson as well, you're, you're really starting to look like Real Madrid. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, people are calling it a rebuild, and, and I saw someone tweet, it was like, rebuilding with Real Madrid is like rebuilding on FIFA. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not going to take long. It's There's always a draw. It's easy. For, you know, like, building a team in FIFA is is simple, really. Um, and it's not, it's not quite as easy at Real Madrid as it is in FIFA, but I do like the comparison. It's like, you know, they have, they have the cash to, to throw around. Um, it looks like they're going to move on Gareth Bale, um, so they, they have, they already have money and they could get, uh, some big fees if they're going to sell a few of their stars or former star players. So, um, bringing in Hazard 
w- is definitely feasible along with Jovic and, and Ericsson. All three of those moves are feasible for a club the size of Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just down to Chelsea. It looks like Chelsea are, are heavily negotiating. Um, but I think it's a move. You know, if Hazard wants to go, I think it's. I think he would have no problem staying um, and just go next year. But I think it's best probably for both of them to to uh, do the move now. Maybe negotiate a little bit, try and make some more money off of him as much as you can. Um, but yeah, but don't keep a player. Like I said with the Coutinho thing, don't keep a player there who doesn't not necessarily you know, who wants to go somewhere else. You know, don't sort of taint that relationship um you know maybe chelsea have in their head oh if we keep him one more season you know uh we can convince him to to stay long term um but i don't think it's worth the risk i think you gotta you gotta sell him let him go out on a high note winning the europa league and get the money for him you might not be able to spend it immediately but invest put it back into your club and eventually um be able to sort of build around uh, new younger players. Now, it, it, it's a tough time to be selling for Chelsea considering the transfer ban and the appeal has been upheld. You know, they still might find a way um, to sign players this summer. We'll see if anything resolves itself before the end of the window. Um, but it's um, adding the importance to, you know, keeping Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, a, a player who... It looked like he was going to sign for Bayern Munich in January. Um, his future was in doubt. You know, picked up an injury. Looks like he might get a new big contract, and possibly could take the number ten shirt from Hazard. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's, I think it's exciting. I mean, I don't. I feel like it might be a little too early to just give give him the ten, but I think he has enough promise to where he can take it and. You know he's he has he's been rare to shy away from a big stage. He's always shown confidence, even in the biggest games. Um, so I think that won't do anything to to harm him or harm harm Chelsea. Um, but it's a, it's a big statement. It's it's saying hey you you are the future of this club. We're going to build around you. Um, and obviously that's appealing to Hudson Odoi. Uh, that's that's all he ever really wanted was to to you know with Chelsea being in a club like Chelsea who's sort of looked away from their youth and, you know, sent them out on loan a bunch of times, you know, this is, this is a big statement for them to say, look at, we think you're the real deal and we're going to, we're going to try and build around you. And it's, it's exciting. It, it makes losing Hazard feel a little bit better. It's a little bit more exciting. You know, it's exciting. We have a new, a new era that we're, we're hoping to usher in. And in it from a managerial standpoint, the rumors are that, uh, Maurizio Sarri is going to leave and take over at Juventus um, with Allegri stepping down from that job at the end of the season. Um, It would be a bit rare for a Chelsea manager to leave on his own terms, but it seems like that's going to be the case in this situation. Um, You have said that no matter what Chelsea achieved this season, Sarri should go. Um, Do you still stand by that? Um, I mean, long it's term, tough. It's tough too after finishing third and winning a European final. Yeah, no, I think he certainly deserves the chance to stay. I don't think they should sack him by any means, but um, 
you know, it's a weird, it's a weird position to be. It's stressful, I think, to to manage a club like Chelsea. So if he wants to go, and that's his decision, um, you know, all the power to him. I I think it's it's less. I just I don't think he should necessarily go at this point. Um, but you know, it could end up being the right thing long term. I I I just I haven't really bought into his style of play, his style of management. Um, it's always felt a little bit weird for Chelsea. You know, you see a lot of players. He's not really a big, it doesn't seem to be a big man manager, which I like to see a little bit of in, in managers. You know, you look at, you know, the passion that, you know, early Mourinho showed when he managed Chelsea, what Conte showed, you know, Matea, Di Matteo winning the Champions League. He was, you know, a player who knew the players on the team. Um, we're sorry, you you know, you'd see times where the players are talking to each other up, getting ready for a thing, and he getting ready for, um, you know, extra time or penalty shootout. He just does. He's just off by himself, not really into it at all. Not it doesn't really. He, he, what I've heard people say talking about Sarri is he's always felt like he's just the coach, and meaning by that, you know, he he hasn't taken on the full idea of what it is to be the full-on you know team man like the manager of Chelsea you know Antonio Conte was the manager Jose Mourinho was the manager um it always just felt to me like sorry was the head coach and you know it, it just didn't it didn't seem like it just never really seemed like the right fit um Although I do, I want to absolutely applaud him for what he's done this season because there has been negativity surrounding him. That he's he's lasted more than um, managers have at Chelsea in the past, given the circumstances. And he went out and got third place, got Champions League, and and he won the Europa League. Um, got his first trophy, which was incredible to see. Watching him look at you know his his winner's medal, um, his first major honor, uh, which is you know just you know I'm I'm happy for him. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to see him go after, you know, all I've said, just because I think he's earned his right to stay. You know, he's been frustrated. But again, you know, maybe that's covering up a lot of what I watched this season where I I did get uh, very angry um, at his style and his management throughout the season. Um, so maybe it is best for him to leave on his own terms in a positive light. He's never going to have that season that, you know, Conte had last year Mourinho had you know before he was sacked for the second time um so maybe it's best for all parties um and I think maybe it's time for you know hopefully Chelsea bring in someone who fits the ideas of Chelsea of old um I think too often the club has tried to bring in someone you know Andre Villas-Boas or Mauricio Sarri that just to, to sort of play this beautiful football that Chelsea didn't make their name on. They didn't become the most successful team the past 16 years in England because they played beautiful football. And it, it seemed like uh, they were tr trying to force their way to forget some of that history. And I think Sarri never really understood uh, the true essence, true history of Chelsea. And um, in that way, you know, I think in the long, long term, I think it's okay that he is leaving on his own terms. It's going to be tough, though, to attract a manager to a club in, in the midst of a transfer ban. I know that Chelsea are a Champions League level club, a Champions League club. They, you know, have their spot next season in the group stage. And but it's it's got to be 
a tough thing to say, you know, uh, yeah, you're going to come into this football club. Um, you're going to have to <laughs> outdo what Sari did in his first season, which is finish third behind the uh, second and third highest um, point getters in the history of the league and win a European final. And I, first off, you have to think who's available in the world of management. And secondly, you have to think who wants to take on a task of improving on third a European Cup win and have to do it without bringing any new players in. So yeah, and that, that's it's, another it's, that's another reason why it's probably best if he stays. But if he doesn't want to be there, you know, you don't want to. It, it could just end up being too negative. If you end up saying, "Yeah, it, you know, a he, lot of people, he might, people, he might force your hand, which it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for, it's going to be a tough summer for Chelsea." Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think it always, the Chelsea, it always feels that way, um, and time and time again, we've they've come back and and been successful. Um, they're not without their drama, with their chaos. Um, I think it's very big. We're getting a technical director finally, um, uh, you know, bringing Petr Cech in to like finally uh, have a role. You know, Chelsea have been without that role for quite some time, and it's it showed in a lot of their transfer dealings. Um, I think it's big that they're they're starting to do that. There's a lot of talk about you know Frank Lampard coming in. I think it's too soon for him to do that, but again, it's. It's tough. I mean, you look at, you know, Ryan Giggs was tipped to be the next big thing for Manchester United, but they thought, okay, he just wasn't ready. And then they brought in Mourinho and they brought in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And now it looks like Giggs is never going to come back and manage. It just, it's not setting up for that. Um, you know, you, you've talked about Mikel Arteta coming back to the Emirates and, and managing Arsenal. But now that they have Emery, we're going to, we're going to let this Emery era play out before, you know, it's all about timing. And, you know, maybe it's a, the timing is attractive to bring in uh, Lampard, even if it might be too soon. Um, he'll definitely endear himself to fans more so than Sarri did. Um, but you have to wonder if it's the right choice. It's it's interesting. I think Javi Grazia is another manager that people were looking at. And then, you know, I mean, Allegri would be another option as well. But again, it's hard to attract managers without the ability to uh, um, bring players in. Yeah, I, I think Sarri's attitude was actually pretty positive on that fact. When he came in, he even said, like, no, like, my, my goal is to instill my philosophy in the group of players we have. He never was really big into the transfer dealings, especially, you know, it was a stark contrast to what they had with Antonio Conte, who very much wanted to be um, in control of, you know, the, the transfers that they brought in. Sorry, I didn't care as much. Yeah, with, you know, with Allegri, I'd say he's probably going to take a little bit of a break stepping down from Juventus. I don't expect him to be with the club at the start of the season coming up. Um, with Lampard... It seems early, but if you do it, if, if Chelsea do it, then they have to be prepared to be more patient with him than they have been with any manager in the past. Because it's you're going down a whole different road. It's a club legend. Um, and you have to 
it, there's a different level of respect that you have for someone who did it as a player at the club. So if things aren't going well uh, at the very beginning, you can't really pull the trigger due to upsetting the fan base um, in more than one way. So it that would be a, a tricky situation. I think you have to give him another year at Derby County and or elsewhere some if someone decides that he's good enough to move up but not quite to the level of Chelsea not quite to a big 6 club um that might be a good move but give him another year at Derby and see how he does bouncing back from the um from the championship playoff final defeat and uh see if he really is the guy that's going to take over um at Chelsea one day but it's all about timing. If Sarri leaves, you it it could force Chelsea's hand to say, "All right, Lampard's got to come in now." We would hoped it wouldn't be for another year or two, but what can we do? So, um, it's it's a tricky situation that we will keep our eyes on, and anytime there's more news coming out about it, we will discuss upcoming. Um, but it's time for you, my friend, to get delusional. Yes, it is. Okay, so I'm just going to read off read off some stats here. Um, let us see. Here we go. Um, sorry. All right. Um, 36 goals in the league, 13 assists. 12 goals, 3 assists in the Champions League. Three goals in the Copa del Rey. So those are Messi's stats. That brings him, I believe his, his total was what? So 48, 51 goals and 18 assists this year. That is, an, he's had an incredible season. To a lot of people, he's very much the favorite for uh, the Ballon d'Or uh, this year. And if you have to look at him versus Ronaldo, I'd give him the the uh, the crown over Ronaldo going into this season, or going into this you know reward uh, process. But um, I'm gonna go ahead and say he should not win with those stats: 51 goals, 18 assists. He should not win the Ballon d'Or this season. I think it, the award has to go to Virgil Van Dyke. Uh, we talked about this. Um, you mentioned it earlier. In the past 64 games, no one has dribbled successfully past Virgil van Dijk. Not even one Lionel Messi. What he has brought to Liverpool, what he has done, he's been a major factor in them finishing 97 points winning the Champions League. He is set to play in a UEFA Nations League semifinal tomorrow. Um, I think we often focus too much on uh, attacking stats and don't look enough at the importance of some defenders, um, some defensive midfielders, some you know creative midfielders. I think that Virgil van Dijk deserves to win the Ballon d'Or this year. All right. Well, we're uh, you know it's we're at the halfway point. The Ballon d'Or will be uh, announced in December, 
So there's still still time to go um, for the calendar year, but another I, delusion, by the way. It's stupid. That's dumb. Why do we why do we reward why do we give the Ballon d'Or after looking at the second half of one season and the first half of the next? Just reward it at the end of the the club campaign. Yeah, I just I, give the I award agree. in the summer. I agree. I'm not I'm not against it. Um I would say if you gave gave the award out in August, you cover any years with summer tournaments. Um, but also that might give you, you know, say a player has a really good World Cup. Um, and they had a decent club season, but not the best in the world, but they had a really good World Cup and made a long run, then it might kind of uh, have you focus on that a little bit more. So maybe that's why they do it that way. But I think Virgil van Dyke has a, a good shout at at that. Um, you know, in that spell, you know, Messi, play, he played against Messi. He played against Mbappe, Neymar, um, and still no one no one dribbled dribbled past him. But it's it's gonna be tough for him. I would expect him to be in the top three, but a year after they gave it to Luka Modric and then his return on it, Modric was uh, awful this in in this campaign for Real Madrid. So uh that might might have an effect on the voters, but I think you got a good shout there, at least for him to finish in the top three. Um, but we'll we'll mark that one down. We'll we'll save that for December when it rolls around. Um, coming up next for us, we're gonna go about a week and a half without without recording. Um, expect us to put something out, uh, not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. Um, and we will we will get back to our regularly scheduled programs on Mondays. Um, we're gonna do a show where we cover our delusions that have uh, you know reached their their uh, boiling point. Um, you know, talk about what we got right, what we got wrong. Um, we're gonna look out for the Women's World Cup starting in just a couple of days, and the Gold Cup um, we will pay attention to. I'm sure we'll give a mention to the. UEFA Nations League final. Um, hopefully that's a good game. We'll give mentions to the Copa America tournament that's going to go on this summer. Um, but f- as far as the club campaign goes, uh, all we'll have for you coming up is it's going to be transfer rumors for players and managers alike. So um, stay tuned for that, and we will uh, we will be releasing every Monday from, from here on out. Yeah, and uh, you know, make sure to follow us on Twitter at FootyAdo, on Instagram at FootyAdo. Please, you know, like, rate, um, review, subscribe on on Apple Podcasts. You can also check us out on Anchor. You can check us out on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're pretty much everywhere. Um, this has been FootyAdo, a delusional soccer podcast. Thank you for listening, and as always, pardon our French. <laughs>